Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2013, titled Revival and Reformation. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 10 for August 31 to September 6, Reformation, the Willingness to Grow and Change. Sabbath afternoon, August 31. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're now into the third month of study of Reformation and Revival. And as we open your word this week, we want to be willing for you to make the changes in our lives that need to be made. Help us to understand, help us to love you so that we can be used by you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let's read that again, James 4, verses 6 and 7. He gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Before Pentecost, the disciples had significant spiritual needs. Their understanding of God's plan was clouded. They failed to comprehend Jesus' mission. After they were touched by divine grace, Christ's love broke their hearts. They experienced revival and reformation. A revival is simply a reawakening of deeper spiritual longings. It is an intensifying of our spiritual desires as our hearts are drawn closer to God through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Revival does not imply that we have had no previous experience with Jesus. Rather, it calls us to an experience that is deeper and richer. Reformation calls us to grow and change. It appeals to us to move beyond the status quo spiritually. It invites us to re-examine our lives in the light of biblical values and to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to make any changes necessary in order to live in obedience to God's will. This week, we will study the lives of New Testament believers who experienced growth and change in their own spiritual experience. Sunday, September 1, The Grace to Grow The lives of the disciples showed constant spiritual growth as they walked with Jesus. When Christ first called his disciples, their attitudes and actions certainly did not reflect the loveliness of his character. Question. Read Luke 9, 51-56 and Matthew 20, 20-28. How do these passages reveal James and John's thinking? Well, first of all, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And, as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans, to prepare for him. 
but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And then in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. James and John had some serious character flaws. They were not prepared to represent Christ's love to the world. They were not qualified to proclaim a message of grace to others who had not changed their own lives. In spite of their serious defects of character, James and John longed to reveal Jesus' character more fully. They longed for transformation and reformation in their own attitudes. Growth and change are part of our Christian experience. Question Read 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. What do these verses reveal about the great changes that came over John during the years following Jesus' death? What do they teach us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, 
which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. So to finish the day, it's so easy to get discouraged over our own spiritual growth, especially as we truly want to have revival and reformation in our lives. When discouraged, when feeling as if you are a spiritual failure and that you are going to be lost, what promises can you claim that will show you why you must never give up and why, despite your faults, you can have assurance of salvation? Monday, September 2, The Power to Choose Change comes at the point of choice. Reformation occurs as we choose to yield to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and surrender our lives to God's will. God will never force or manipulate our wills. He respects our freedom. His Spirit impresses our minds, convicts our hearts, and promises to do right. But the choice to respond to the Holy Spirit's appeal is always and only our own. Question. Read Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. How does this passage show the necessity of cooperating with God in our growth in grace? What does Paul mean by work out your own salvation? What does he mean by it is God who works in you? Philippians 2, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. It is not possible for us to work out what God has not already worked in. If he works in us through his supernatural power, we are able to make the choices to work out through our lives the grace and strength that he has worked into our lives. Ellen White writes, page 134 of Fundamentals of Christian Education, As finite, sinful man works out his own salvation with fear and trembling, it is God who works in him to will and to do of his own good pleasure. But God will not work without the cooperation of man. He must exercise his powers to the very utmost. He must place himself as an apt, willing student in the school of Christ. And, as he accepts the grace that is freely offered to him, the presence of Christ in the thought and in the heart will give him decision of purpose to lay aside every weight of sin, that the heart may be filled with all the fullness of God and of his love. Reformation occurs as we cooperate with God by choosing to surrender to Him anything that the Holy Spirit points out as not being in harmony with His will. Unless we make those choices, sometimes very painful ones too, then positive spiritual change will not occur. God will not rip some selfish thought out of our minds. He will not mysteriously snatch away unhealthful habits or secret indulgences. 
He convicts us of sin. He convinces us of right. But we must choose. Once we do, He empowers our choices. But it is we ourselves who have to daily, even moment by moment, make those choices. So to finish today, what does it mean to cooperate with God in the working out of our salvation? What doesn't it mean? When was the last time that you felt deeply convicted over something and through God's grace overcame, no matter how difficult the struggle? Tuesday, September 3, Confidence and Doubt Question. What was wrong with Peter's attitude before the cross? Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35 Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Peter was no match for the wiles of the evil one. He attempted to face Satan's temptations in his own strength. Filled with a sense of self-inflated confidence, he had little idea of the crisis that was coming. Alone in Pilate's courtyard and trembling at the sound of a servant girl's questioning, Peter denied his Lord in Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75. Jesus had warned Peter early, earlier, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And that's from Luke twenty-two thirty-one to 32. Jesus' statement provides a fascinating analysis of Peter's spiritual condition. Trusting in his own strength, Peter drifted from his Lord. This is why Jesus used the expression, When you have returned to me. Peter needed a spiritual awakening. He needed a change of attitude. He needed reformation. Question. Read John chapter 20 verses 24 to 29. What does this passage reveal about Thomas? What lessons can we take from this for ourselves. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, 
Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Both Peter and Thomas had one striking feature in common. They approached faith from a very human perspective. Peter placed confidence in what he could do. Thomas in what he could see. They depended on their faulty human judgment. But Pentecost made a difference. A transformed Peter fearlessly preached and three thousand were baptised on Pentecost. Peter realised that he certainly had no strength to heal a lame man, but Jesus had that power and a miracle took place in Acts chapter 3. When the authorities attempted to silence his voice, Peter proclaimed in Acts chapter 4 verse 20, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Peter was a changed man. Thomas was changed also. It is believed that he sailed to India to preach the gospel. Though not much more is said about him, we can be sure that he had become a new man after Pentecost as well. So to finish today, who are you more like in temperament, Peter or Thomas? What can you learn from their experiences so that you don't make similar mistakes? Wednesday, September 4, The Conviction to Return Question. Read Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 21. What specific attitudes and actions led the prodigal to decide to return home? What principles of revival and reformation do we discover in this passage? Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine." and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Revival can be defined in different ways. However it may be defined, one factor ought not be missed. Revival is coming home. It is a heart hunger to know the Father's love in a deeper way. Reformation is the choice to respond to the Holy Spirit's leading for change and growth. It is the choice to give up whatever stands in the way of this closer relationship with God. The prodigal could not have both the pig pen and the father's banquet table. Simply put, the young man missed home too much to remain where he was. There was an aching in his heart to return. It is this heartache for the presence of God that leads us to long for revival and reformation. It is this heart cry for the warm embrace of the Father that motivates us to make necessary changes in our lives too. Question. As the young man prepared to return home, he planned his apology in advance. He must have rehearsed it again and again. Read his speech in Luke fifteen, eighteen, and 19, and his father's interruption in verses 20 to 24. What does this interruption reveal about the father's attitude toward his son and God's attitude toward us? Well, first of all, what the son said. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And the father's response? And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Although his son was far from the father's eyes, he was not far from his heart. The father's eyes searched the horizon for his son each day. The greatest motivation to make changes in our lives is the desire to no longer break the heart of the one who loves us so much. When the boy was wallowing around in the mud with the pigs, the father suffered more than his son. Revival occurs when God's love breaks our hearts. Reformation occurs when we choose to respond to a love that will not let us go. It takes place when we make the difficult choices to give up those attitudes, habits, thoughts and feelings that separate us from Him. And so to finish today, how is the statement, My son was dead and is alive again, an insightful definition of true revival? What is it like to be dead and then live again? Thursday, September 5, The Faith to Act Jesus revealed the Father's compassion and love through the miracles that he performed. 
He healed palsied bodies in order to reveal an even greater ability to heal palsied souls. He restored twisted arms and legs in order to demonstrate his greater desire to restore twisted hearts and minds. Jesus' miracles teach us something about how to exercise faith. They teach us valuable lessons about growth and change. One of Jesus' most powerful illustrations of the power of faith is found in the miracle of the sufferer at the pool of Bethesda. The poor man lay by the pool for thirty-eight years. He was hopeless, his life seemed doomed to wretchedness, poverty and suffering. Until Jesus came. Question. Read John chapter 5 verses 1 to 14. Why do you think Jesus asked the man, Do you want to be made well? Isn't it rather obvious that anyone suffering for so long would want to be healed? What was Jesus' motive here? And what was the man's response? After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Jesus didn't listen to the man's excuse. He did not counter the excuse with an argument. He simply said, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. The essential question was, Would this poor sick man believe the word of Christ and act upon it in spite of what he was experiencing? As soon as the man resolved to act upon the word of Christ, he was made whole. Jesus' gift of healing was in his word. Christ's word carried with it the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that which Christ declares. From the book Steps to Christ, page 51, we read, If you believe the promise, believe that you are forgiven and cleansed, God supplies the fact. You are made whole, just as Christ gave the paralytic power to walk when the man believed that he was healed. 
It is so if you believe it. Do not wait to feel that you are made whole, but say, I believe it, it is so, not because I feel it, but because God has promised. So to finish today, why is it so important to believe God's promises for forgiveness, especially when we feel so condemned and guilty for our sins? Why must forgiveness precede reformation in our lives? Why is it important to believe that we can overcome through Christ's power in our lives, even now? Friday, September 6. From the book Selected Messages, Book 1, page 381, we read, Let no man present the idea that man has little or nothing to do in the great work of overcoming. For God does nothing for man without his cooperation. Neither say that after you have done all that you can on your part, Jesus will help you. Christ has said, Without me ye can do nothing, in John 16.5. From first to last, man is to be a labourer together with God. Unless the Holy Spirit works upon the human heart, at every step we shall stumble and fall. Man's efforts alone are nothing but worthlessness. But cooperation with Christ means a victory. Never leave the impression on the mind that there is little or nothing to do on the part of man, but rather teach man to cooperate with God that he may be successful in overcoming. And from The Desire of Ages, page 668, All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. And, if we consent, He will so identify Himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to His will, that when obeying Him we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing His service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know Him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Growth comes in the Christian life as we claim God's promises or by faith, believing that He will do just what He says. What are the promises made to us here? First of all, we'll look in John chapter 1, verses 7 to 9, and Philippians 4.13, and James 1.5-8, followed by Romans 8.31-39. How can you learn to believe them for yourself? More important, what choices can you make that will help these promises to become more real in your life? First of all, 1 John 1, 7-9 But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Philippians 4.13 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And James 1, 5-8 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And Romans eight thirty-one to 39 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And question two. Dwell more on this idea of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In class, talk about what that means, especially in terms of salvation by faith alone. What should we fear? What should cause us to tremble? And three, when was the last time, like Peter, that you made a promise to God that you, however sincere at the time you made it, utterly failed to follow through on it? What did you learn from that mistake? What principles can we find in the Bible that will enable us to have the victories that we are promised? That brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, Samba Jean's Dilemma. Samba Jean loved going into the forest near his mountain home in central Madagascar to collect herbs for his magic. Although his family calls themselves Christians, his father sees no problem mixing Christian beliefs with witchcraft. He uses sticks and bones to determine who has cursed someone. He uses magic and traditional herbs to break curses, bring good luck, and heal his clients. When Sambajin was 14, a friend invited him to attend an evangelistic meeting. Sambajin listened intently as the preacher read from God's Word. He heard things that were so different from what his father and his priest had taught him. Who is right? he wondered. As he learned more, he became convinced that the Seventh-day Adventist pastor who read from the Bible was teaching the truth. He realized that his father's powers were from the devil. 
Samba Jean spent many restless nights trying to decide what he must do with the new truths he was discovering. What will the devil do to me if I refuse to help my father, he wondered. Samba Jean's father tried to force the boy to take part in his witchcraft ceremonies, but Samba Jean refused. The boy wanted to commit his life completely to God in order to be free of the devil's power. But his parents insisted that he attend their church. Sambajin asked the pastor to baptize him, but allow him to continue attending his parents' church to keep the peace. But the pastor explained that baptism means giving up all other religions and accepting only God's truth. As Sambajin continued attending Bible studies, he realized that he must leave his family's faith and join the Seventh-day Adventist church. When he told his parents, his father refused to speak to him. Other family members called him a traitor. Sambajin took his stand for God and is trying to share his faith with his family. But his father insists that his witchcraft has all the power he needs. To keep the Sabbath holy, Sambajin stays at the church all day on Sabbath so he won't be told to work. He tells those who visit his father that he no longer believes in witchcraft, that God is more powerful than his father's witchcraft. Some of his father's clients are studying the Bible with him now. I pray that soon my parents will give up their false beliefs and surrender to God, Sambajin says. Our mission offerings help us to reach people such as Sambajin around the world. Thank you for giving so that others can meet the Saviour. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.